morning, Kitsap House. Oh, it is so good to be with you this morning. Oh, I'm going to set this down here. Okay. <laughs> uh, it truly is such an honor to be joining you today. Um, I loved getting to just share about some different stories of homes away from home and um, hearing maybe the ways those, those memories have come up of places that were special to you or your family. Uh, I heard a lot of different um, just different reminders of, of family and how that is a big piece of our, our home away from home quite often. Um, home is something that I would say probably most of us desire. It's a place that we feel safe and secure and seen and loved. It's a place that we want to be at. Um, today we're going to be looking through what, what it looks like though when you can't go home and maybe when you have to create a home away from home, possibly not by choice. Um, today we're going to be talking about the foreigner and what is God's heart for the foreigner and why does it matter? So I hope I don't have anyone squirming in their seats, at least not quite yet. <laughs> we're going to be moving through quite a bit of scripture today and the reason we're doing this is not just to, to find a time the word foreigner is listed in the Bible and just read off all of those verses. That is not at all the purpose of this. Uh, but the, rather, the, the reason that we're going to be looking through quite a bit of scripture is that for those of us here this morning or those listening online who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, uh, we believe that this book, the, the scripture that we have, is a sacred narrative of God's interaction with humanity. We desire to know God and to be constantly renewed by him. And we do this by diving into his word and knowing what he loves and who he loves. Uh, one way we do this is just by reading his word, seeking to understand what is his kingdom and how do we experience that now and one day. And for anyone who might be here uh, this morning or listening online who would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, we just want to say welcome and we are so glad that you're here, that you're listening. I hope that what is shared today may even bring just a little bit of uh, curiosity of if there really is a God who sees those that may be unseen by the world. My hope for us today is that we walk away with either a new, a potentially challenging, or just a refreshing understanding of God's heart for the foreigner, and that our views of the foreigner would be primarily rooted and informed by scripture. So to start off, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to our passage today, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew is one of the four accounts telling of the life of Jesus on earth. And this passage takes place after Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Uh, Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue on a variety of topics and primarily about kind of the end times. So as he's describing this final judgment, this is one of the last teachings that we see in the book of Matthew before moving forward with the betrayal, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. All right. So I think we have the passage up on the screen. All right, so Matthew 25, verse 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me a drink. Or excuse me, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, as you did this to one of the least of, me, of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right, now, of course, there's a lot we can take from this text, from sorting out the sheep and the goats to the, the different groups that Jesus points out that were served. But today, of course, I'm wanting to focus in on that welcoming of the stranger. The word stranger here used in its original Greek is the word xenos, which can also be translated as foreigner or alien, and it can also be used as host or one who receives or entertains hospitably, which we see this word used again in Romans 16.23, where Paul is greeting a friend and comments on his hosting of himself and of the church. So we're seeing foreigner, alien, hospitality, all this kind of wrapped up into this Greek word xenos, and for me personally, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word xenos, the first thing that comes to mind is actually xenophobia, which is kind of that fear of something that is foreigner or different. So probably not the most positive connotation for us today. So why does Jesus include welcoming the stranger in this list of how those on his right, those being welcomed into the kingdom, had, had served him? And I think it might have to do with God's heart for the, that particular group of people. Stories of migration are woven all throughout Scripture, as well as guidance and commands from, to, from God to his people about how to treat the foreigners living among them. In Genesis 12, we see Abram, the father of our faith, and his wife Sarai as migrants. Starting in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abram and Sarah, this is before their, their names changed to Abraham and Sarah, but they, um, they're experiencing a famine and they cross borders into another nation in order to seek respite. While famine may feel like a foreign or biblical concept to us, uh, it's estimated that there's nearly 350 million people in the world today that are facing extreme form, forms of hunger. That's roughly the size of the population of the United States. Abram and Sarah migrate to survive, and Abram even lies to the Egyptians about his relationship with Sarai, calling her his sister instead of his wife, believing that it would find him better favor with the Egyptians that he's now residing in that nation of. He did what he believed he needed to do to protect himself and his family. Abram and Sarai eventually move out of Egypt, and a few generations later, we see one of their great-grandsons, Joseph, become a different sort of immigrant, one who was sold off by his brothers and forced into slavery, moving once again across borders into a foreign land, back into Egypt. To our ears, we may hear slavery and again think that's a thing of the past, but rough estimates cite that just under 50 million people are currently enslaved today. And in today's terms, what happened to Joseph, we would probably call human trafficking because Joseph was traded against his will for the purpose of forced labor. And like Joseph, some of today's victims are betrayed by their families who profit from their suffering. In Joseph's story, through a series of divine events as well as misfortunes, Joseph's status moves from the slave to the second in command in Egypt, 
And God uses his position in a powerful way to serve not only this entire host country he's in, but also his family and many Israelites outside of the country um, as they respond to a severe famine that comes in the land. Joseph's experience reminds us that immigrants can make important contributions to the countries that host them. Joseph was ultimately reconciled to his family, and when he then moves them into Egypt, and his family began to live there as foreigners, and they stayed, and their generations grew and grew and grew into this nation of Israelites, God's chosen people, but this growing number began to concern the Egyptians. We learn at the beginning of Exodus, the Pharaoh, whom Joseph had found favor in, is no longer in power. So now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Out of fear, the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites, even implementing a mass genocide of all Israelite boys being born. The book of Exodus goes on to tell how one of those baby boys, Moses, who was intended to be killed, is hidden by his mother and then taken in by Pharaoh's daughter to be raised. Moses eventually returns to his people, and though he's a bit of an outcast, is raised up by God as a leader that brings the Israelites out of Egypt and into a land promised to them. The Israelites are no longer foreigners in Egypt. They begin moving into a land of their own, which they rule. So as time passes, the Israelites are established in this promised land. It is now theirs. And we learn of migrants that then come into Israel. A woman named Ruth marries a foreigner, or marries a foreigner in her own home country. And then after his unexpected and early death, decides to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Naomi's homeland in Judah. These two widows, one of them being a foreigner, stick together. Naomi teaches Ruth the customs of her land, and Ruth works hard to provide for her mother-in-law. Ruth uh, is protected as she works in the land by a man named Boaz, a, a relative of Naomi. And we later find out that Boaz and Ruth become married. And Ruth and Boaz, from their lineage, comes King David, who is known as a man after God's own heart and a ruler of ancient Israel and Judah. And further along this family line comes Jesus. Jesus himself was a refugee in his earliest years as an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph soon after his birth in a dream, saying, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Fleeing for their lives, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go into Egypt, seeking safety until they're able to return. So, okay, is everyone still with me? <laughs> no, it's quite a bit we were going through there. Uh, we're not going to go into the persecution of the early church and the flight of followers of Jesus after his resurrection, but such persecution is still relevant, obviously, in our day and age today. It's still a story that's being told. So with so many accounts of migration throughout Scripture by God's people, it's not surprising that God also gave his own people specific instruction on how to treat the foreigner when the foreigner was among them. It isn't in our human nature to welcome what is different. However, in God's kindness for all of humanity, he commands love over fear. God reminds the Israelites that in their own history as strangers in a foreign land, that we are entitled, that we should be treating the foreigner with love, as we read in the Lectio Divina earlier this morning. 
These laws are given to the Israelites just after they had escaped Egypt. So in the book of Leviticus, the Israelites have just come out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go in this promised land. Moses is receiving laws from God and writing them down. And so as a reminder, God tells them time and time again, as the foreigner resides among you, to welcome them, to love them. Again, these laws are repeated in Deuteronomy to the next generation of Israelites prior to entering the the promised land as a reminder of where they came from because they may have forgotten within that generation. Not only are the Israelites commanded not to mistreat the foreigner as they had been mistreated in Egypt, but they are instructed to love the foreigner and welcome them in. God commands his people to extend the same legal protections to the foreigner, including rights to Sabbath rest, fair labor treatment and prompt payment for work, and even intentionally leaving behind crops after their first round of harvest in a practice called gleaning, in which the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow are able to harvest leftover food for themselves in fields that are not their own. The Israelites are even commanded to set aside a special portion of their harvest for a triennial tithe so that the foreigners, the orphans, the widows, and the Levites, the priests of the day, are able to have a special feast. These laws given to the Israelites set them apart from others of that time. Such frequent and specific commands in the Mosaic law toward the foreigner are unique, where most other ancient cultures and the Near East societies are almost totally silent about how to treat immigrants. The Israelites had a higher level of justice to the immigrant than the surrounding nations. So why does all of this matter? It's great that there was concern about the foreigner in the Old Testament, We can see that Jesus still seems to care about this population in his teachings when he talks about welcoming the stranger, but what does that have to do with us today here in Port Orchard, Washington? Who is this Xenos among us, and what does it even look like to welcome them? Nowadays, borders and migration obviously look quite a bit different than they did in biblical times, and there are very legitimate reasons to have hesitations, questions, and concerns but I am asking you to consider if your own views of the foreigner come, first and foremost, from the heart of God. One of the ways that we can better know God is to know what he loves and who he loves, to put a face to that. It's one of the reasons that we gather here as a church, to be in communion with one another and with God, and to, be, to more fully experience, and experience him through one another. At the end of the Bible, when describing the coming of a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation speaks repeatedly of a great multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne of God, worshiping him. That is a glimpse of the age to come, and it's possible to experience that here and now. Most of us today can probably trace our lineage back to ancestors of other nations that came to the United States seeking opportunity and freedom that may not have been available in their country of origin. The United States is built on stories of immigration. Some of it is chosen, like many of our family members, and some of it is forced, like the movement of indigenous populations as Europeans were arriving, or the slave trade that did bring many Africans to these shores. Likely, many of our ancestors chose to leave home and create a new home, a home away from home, here. They worked hard. Many of them were probably learning English if that wasn't already their native language, learning an entirely new culture, and building a future that we, as their descendants, I am part of that, I'm benefiting from. As Americans, it is undeniable that from a global perspective, we have privileges and power that are innately within our citizenship. Now, I'm not an economist or a politician, but in comparison to many other countries worldwide, we live in a fairly stable economy and government. 
We natively speak a global language, and we're able to travel to most places in the world relatively easily. You probably didn't choose to be born here, but it may be safe to say that you're glad that you were. And yet, as followers of Christ, we are reminded throughout the letters in the New Testament collectively as the whole global church, we're living as exiles, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God and are no longer sojourners. So church, how do we balance being both exiles and being those in power? I think we look to Christ. Jesus, who has all authority and power, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. He came to be with us. He became both a foreigner, leaving his throne in heaven, and he welcomed the foreigner, those who the world had turned away. He demonstrated his father's heart. Jesus chose to sit with us, to have meals with us, to become our friend and tell jokes with us. During his time on earth, he listened to the stories of those around him. He engaged with them. He celebrated with those who celebrated, and he wept with those who wept. The story of the foreigner often comes with grief. Oftentimes, I've found that those who've experienced immense suffering have also experienced immense depth in their understanding of God. Now, to be clear, we do not paint suffering as a sort of trial that is required to know God or even brought about by God as some sort of lesson or punishment. But so often we want to worship a God who altogether prevents suffering, that everything is great all the time. And quite frankly, we don't get to. We look around at our outer world and often at our inner world, and we deeply know that suffering exists. But we do worship a God who is with us in the suffering. Jesus lived a perfect life to then reconcile us and our broken relationship back to the Creator through his sacrifice on the cross. We don't get the resurrection, the restored relationship, without the suffering of the crucifixion. So I started working at World Relief in the fall of 2021, right around the time our country was responding to the fall of Kabul in Afghanistan as the Taliban were taking over. Um, right about the time I started working there is when we started seeing a lot of Afghans arriving into the country and being resettled right here in our neighborhoods, right here in Seattle and Tacoma and the surrounding areas. In a very short period of time, tens of thousands of Afghans escaped the country in a chaotic at best evacuation that airlifted them here to our soil and they began just being sent to many, many different cities. My role at World Relief at the time was assisting in financial literacy education. So imagine uh, moving to a whole new country, you don't know the language, you don't know a lot of different things, and somebody's gonna teach you how to manage your finances. <laughs> My, uh, another role that I did was to help open bank accounts. Again, banking is confusing to me as it is, and in a whole other culture and language, uh, it's, a, it's quite a process, um, but you need a bank account to be able to start working, right? <laughs> So I started helping uh, open bank accounts with individuals. In my very first bank account appointment, I met a young man. Uh, we were sitting in the lobby waiting for our appointment, and we started chatting a bit. And he began recounting his own story that had led him to that bank today. He shared of his time serving with the US military, of fighting off the bad guys, the Taliban, and the hopes of providing a better future for his family. He shared in those treacherous days in August, as the Taliban was moving forward towards the capital, he knew that he would be a target because of his affiliation with the US government. And so he ran. 
the man that I was sitting next to in the middle of Seattle in this clean and tidy bank lobby just months before had run for his life to jump onto a plane to arrive here. So British Somali poet Warson Shire writes, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Today, some forms of migration are due to deep suffering. There's a lot of different legal definitions and different types of migrants, but one of those terms includes forcibly displaced people. This is someone who is involuntarily moved away from their home or region. It's estimated that there's about nearly 108 million forcibly displaced people in the world today. And a few years ago, that number was closer to about 80 million, so we've seen a really significant increase, especially, especially with ongoing conflicts in Syria and more recently within Afghanistan and Ukraine. A refugee is one category of forcibly displaced people, and it is defined as someone who has a well-founded fear of persecution and has crossed an international border. This well-founded fear of persecution must be for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Those are the only reasons allowed. Of the 108 million forcibly displaced people, about 35 million are refugees, and 5.4 million are asylum seekers who flee for the same reason as refugees, but they have not yet been granted that legal status, so they come to a port of an entry at a country and prove their case of persecution, essentially. So with the refugees and asylum seeker populations, that number in total is about the entire population of California. Many refugees end up in neighboring countries in a waiting period, and uh, lower and middle income countries actually host about 76% of all the world's refugees, with the highest number being hosted in Turkey. Less than 1% of all refugees will ever be resettled, which is an official transfer of a refugee to a country that has agreed to admit them to, and grant them permanent residence. But to help demonstrate this, I do think I'm gonna need a little extra help from our kids today. So if we can bring the kids on in. Awesome. Good morning, kids. How you guys doing? Thumbs up? Awesome. All right, thanks for coming in. I, I need thumbs down. Read. Come on. <laughs> oh, in the middle. I'm sorry. All right. Well, this morning with some of the adults, we've been talking about um, foreigners and people who have to move and move to a new place, a new land. And so I need a little bit of help from you guys this morning to better understand what that movement might look like. So there's four of you here. Actually, you know what? There's five of you here. Can I include all five of you in this demonstration this morning? Amazing. All right. So what I'm going to do is I, I know that when people have to move homes, sometimes it's because there are big, big problems in the world, right? There's a, you're right. There's actually a lot of reasons people move, have to move. But one of those reasons is military, definitely, to help fix some of the big problems out there. Um, but sometimes the big problems, we don't get to choose or know that they're coming. So I need all five of you to stand up. And I need you to be my big problems in the world, all right? So I'm going to give you a card. This is your big problem. This is your big problem. Here's your big problem. Your big problem. 
and you're a big problem. And what I need you to do is I need you to go out in the congregation and see these adults and hand your big problem to one of those adults, okay? It can be anyone. Go ahead. Go ahead and hand it. Walk out there. Just give it to anyone you want. Mm-hmm. All right. Great work, all right? We got one more looking who needs a big problem. Kiefer's really deciding, really trying to figure out, hmm, who seems like they should have a big problem? I don't know. It might not be that specific. <laughs> all right. Well, been chosen. Okay. Thank you, big problems. Great job. All right, you guys can stay standing. Uh, now, adults, if you received a big problem, I need you to stand on up. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> so uh, for, for our kids and our helpers that uh, gave out those big problems, what I need you to do now is go back to the person that you gave your big problem to and move them somewhere in the back of the room, wherever you want. They just got to get out of their seat. All right, they're moving, they're moving. Great job, kids and helpers. <laughs> yeah, those are some big problems, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, all right. Great, all right, if you were one of those original big problems, one of our kids, you guys can come back up to the front. The rest of you, you can stay back there wherever you're at. All right, so what do you guys think? Do you think... When they came in today, they were expecting to move seats. <laughs> no, maybe not. Did, did any of them choose to receive a big problem, or did you pick? You picked. You picked. You guys were the ones in charge, huh? Yeah, they didn't have a choice in that. Did they get to bring anyone with them? No. No. Somebody did. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, adults, could you just yell out what some of your big problems are on those cards there? Start over here. Religion, okay. Religion is a big problem. Mm -hmm. Back. Famine, famine, no food. Yeah. Natural disaster. Natural disaster. Mm -hmm. Political opinion, okay. War, okay. So how's it feel standing back there? Are you guys comfy? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably would rather be sitting in your seat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have one seat available up here, so maybe we've got spot for someone. Um, Hmm, who wants to be a helper again? Right here? All right. Can you go in the back and pick one person to come sit in this seat up here? Oh, she did. Uh, wait, wait, but before she comes, before she comes, hold on. Can you remind me your big problem? Political opinion. You know what? That is a reason that you can come up to the front. So make your way on forward. Some of our other big problems, like a natural disaster or a famine, those wouldn't be reasons to come take a seat up here. So we've got someone new, political opinion, so she, um, she had to leave her seat. So, all right, you're in a new seat now. How does, how does this one compare to your seat earlier today? I still kind of feel alone. You're still kind of alone, yeah, yeah. Were you expecting to be in front of all these people today? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite in this way. I know up at playing piano, but that's true, but a little, a little different. Um, do you think that she feels comfortable up there by herself? Not so much, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we can help out just a little bit. I've got a couple of things here. Does anyone want to try and make her feel a little bit more comfortable in her seat? Let's see what we've got in there. 
Okay. Yeah, some options, all right. Oh, let's see, okay, does someone want to bring something forward? Okay, yep, Kiefer, I see. Oh, read what you got there. <gasps> He's got a cup and a flower to go right in it. <gasps> Food, some snacks, yeah. Oh, all right. A little bit better, yeah. We've got maybe a car. Maybe someone can give you a ride somewhere that you haven't been before. Oh, and even a table. <gasps> maybe that's something you can invite someone to come and sit down and have a meal with you. You can share your snack at the table, that's right. Awesome job, you guys did a really great job welcoming our, our foreigner up here in the front. And you know, she's still sitting up front. It still might not be the most comfortable thing in the world, but she's got a little, a little, little extra help, yeah. Thank you, all right. Well, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about all the people back there. There's still people out there. They're still waiting. We don't, we don't have anything left to welcome them right now. No, it's a lot of waiting. We don't, we don't have an extra seat right now. What do you think? How do you think they're feeling back there watching someone else get welcomed and, and they're in the back? Maybe a little sad, yeah. Do you think they're wishing that they could sit down? Maybe they've been standing for a long time and didn't want to be standing right now. Yeah. Sometimes when, when big problems happen in the world, we don't get to choose if we're the ones who move. And a lot of times we don't get to choose if we're the ones who get new seats. But we do trust that we have a God who is with us in these moments. We know that God is here when we're up front and feeling alone and a little uncomfortable and maybe the spotlight is on us. And we also know that God is in the back when we're feeling forgotten and not seen and not able to go anywhere else. So thank you guys so much for helping this morning. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining. <laughs> so there's a lot more to be said, and I do encourage you, if you have questions or something stirred in your heart this morning, don't let it pass by. Come, chat with me after service. Look for answers. Spend time in prayer. Um, I've brought a few of my own uh, personal favorite books that talk more about immigration and refugees and our response as the local church sitting over there on the welcome table. Feel free to take a look at those. And we also have some more information about World Relief as an organization and the work we do as we're resettling this less than 1% that does get to have a seat in a new country. At World Relief Western Washington, we are just one small piece of welcoming in the stranger. And to be honest, church, we need you. We want to see every refugee and immigrant is welcomed by community, rooted in community, and empowered for community. It is a messy process. <laughs> and things rarely go as planned. But just as the Israelites were commanded to love the foreigner, we have the opportunity to better know God's heart by welcoming in the stranger. And as we take steps to engage in mutually transformative relationships, we are reminded of what Jesus says on welcoming the stranger. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Pray with me. Lord, we know that there are big problems in this world. And Lord, we know that you see them and you hold them. Lord, would you teach us what it looks like to engage in the big problems? Lord, and to trust that you are over the big problems that you see and you know and you love. God, you see the big problems in our own lives. You see them, Lord. And you do not leave us you are a God who is with us. Lord, give us eyes and ears and hearts for those around us, for the conflicts in other parts of the world, 
Lord, strengthen your church. We pray for the persecuted believers around the world, Lord, that they would know their hope is in you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym in the Town Square Mall. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you, and God bless.